Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as it is proper among the saints. And if there must be no filthiness, silly talk, or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Father, please teach us. Father, uh, man, you have so blessed me with my time in this text. Father, I feel so feeble to even share it. So, Father, I'm going to ask you to do it. And I hope I just get out of the way. Father, we love you. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen. This is an amazing text, if you really think about it. I called it the walk in love. And basically four parts to it, two positive, two negative. But I want to share with you a quote from man that I must say I probably admire, Jonathan Edwards, quote, the spiritually proud person shows it in his finding fault with other saints. The eminently humble Christian has so much to do at home and sees so much evil in his own that he is not apt to be very busy with other people's hearts, unquote. That fits this text. Those of you who have been with us, you know that this book is cut in half. First three is theology. Second three is because of that theology, this is how you should look. First three is, this is my, because I'm a believer of Jesus Christ, this is my position in Christ. Okay? The last three chapters are... This is my practice because of my position. All right? Because if you were just to cordially drop into this and look at it and say, be imitators of God. Well, no problem. (laughs) How do I pull that off? As beloved children, walk in love. And then he defines it. Just as Christ as I go back through this and I think about it over and over in my own time, this letter is extremely important for us in the church today. I've been in Castle Rock since 79, and I've seen a few changes. Okay, I've been in the church for about 35 years, and... 
dynamics of the church community. And yeah, I've seen some changes. And yet, it is amazing if I take a hundred Christians and ask, what is the church? I'll get a hundred answers. And what I think scares me is how many would be right? I mean, I can take it and make it in simplicity and tell you what Paul told Timothy, that it is the pillar and the foundation of truth. And I can leave it at that. I look at uh, the community of the believers and just in my lifespan, you know, I, I remember when I was young in my teens that you never, ever heard a divorce. You just, you just never heard of it. And yet, if we look around today, it's, it's probably easier to find somebody, well, I know it's easier, that has been divorced. And, you know, listen, I know all the reasons, please. I'm not new here. Okay? But when I think about, the, I remember my first trip to Russia, I was meeting with the, the district pastor, and, and I asked him about divorce in the church, and he looked at me, and I was doing an interpreter, and he looked at me, and he shook his head like this. I thought, okay, I've got to find another word. And so I, Mikhail was with me, and I said, man, I asked him about divorce, and he said, there isn't any. And I was like, what? He says, there's no, there's no divorce in the church. <laughs> you're like, you're pulling my leg. He said, nope. If the two of them don't show up two Sundays in a row, the elders go and stay at their house until it's resolved. And I was like, <laughs> that's one way to get it done. Okay, I mean, but will they feed you? But anyway, <laughs> and, and I thought, you know, but the, the other thing is, they will not allow a church member to marry an unbeliever. If you don't know this person from church or a church that they are affiliated with, forget about it. And you're like, wow. And I thought, but then you sit back and he says, we don't date. Okay, if you want to be with this person, then you come to the youth activities or the young adult activities or whatever at the church. I remember uh, Anna and Mikiel. They wanted to get married, and they were and they were probably mid twenties. When I was teaching the women's Sunday school class, Anna she translated for me. Then when I did everything else, Mikiel he did it. And but you, you could watch them. Now they wouldn't touch hands. They wouldn't do anything, but you could, you know, you ever seen, you know, the young people's little eyes are, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm so in love. And you're like, wow, man, <laughs> how miserable. And they said, no, they're going to get married. And I said, oh, that's kind of cool. And I was getting ready to catch the train back out of Oriel, back to Moscow. Valeri took me over to the train depot. And yeah, I mean, it was, it was cold. It was about 11 o'clock at night. And there was this... I don't know what you would call it. It was like the air was freezing. You just walk into it and you ended up wet. Okay, so I'm in it anyway. And so we were waiting for the train. They were showing me my, my birth and all the rest of it. And they said, uh, we're hurt. We need to hurry. I hope the train is a little slow because uh, Mikael and Anya want to come see you. 
I was like, what? And they said, we don't understand. We don't let them go out by themselves. They have to have a married couple escort them wherever they go. I thought, try that in America. (laughs) But you know what? If you're really honest with it, isn't it for our protection? And it's kind of like what I was sharing with you during the announcement. The church is for our protection. And you know, listen, I understand that some people in church are like little porcupines. Cute to look at, but golly, don't pet it. Right? But that ain't what we're called to. And that's what I want to deal with this morning. We have, if you think about it, in our society, sex is everywhere. And because our society is that way, it affects the church. It affects the church in Corinth. So you think you're going to escape it? I remember growing up, there was a TV show called I Dream of Jeannie. And everybody like, well, never mind, don't worry about it. But they wouldn't let her show her belly button. She was dressed up like a genie, and she couldn't show her belly button. Think about it now. Okay? And yet, that is the environment that God has placed us in this day and age. But you know what? He did it with Corinth. He did it with Corinth. I mean, that place there was... Uh, the only place worse than Corinth is Thessalonica. And I don't even want to talk about that place. Okay? So what we've been looking at as this stuff that is all around us, the Apostle Paul tells us there in verse 2, walk in love as beloved children. Walk in love. All right? No problem. It says be followers or imitators. And the word in the original language is mimic. Mimic God. And I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, the first thing we learn about mimicking God is we can't. Okay, that's step one. Okay, step two is what does God look like? Because then once you start looking at what God looks like, then you realize that your power source is the person of the Holy Spirit. Remember, this all comes out of the end of chapter 3, where he prays that you have divine intervention by the Holy Spirit. Christ is comfortable in you, and you understand the fullness of God in you. Okay? First John says, God is love. So when it says here, walk in love as imitators of God, what do we do? We walk as God walks. See, we saw the plea, but we also now, last week we started into, do you see the pattern? Okay, if you think about it, the world's definition of love and God's definition of love are polar opposites. All right? He's the pattern. He is... uh, the best expression, especially when God was incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ. The person of Christ walking in love, then we are to walk as Christ walked. I know, that doesn't make it any easier, does it? <laughs> well, I go with God first, <laughs> because I've seen the Jesus thing. First John chapter 2, verse 6 says this, 
The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Okay, so what one of the things that I think that we struggle with, we get saved, we get attendance in Sunday school classes and some Bible study stuff, and we're cruising along with it. And yet we'll find ourselves taking, here's God's standard, and we will slowly work away at it until we get it down here where I can handle it. And that ain't the way it is. God's standard is perfect. Be holy for I am holy. Be perfect for I am perfect. Be merciful for I am merciful. Be like Christ. We are to love as he loves. That's chapter 4, 5, and 6 of this letter. Because the discussion started in chapter 4, verse 1. What was it? As a prisoner, I implore you to walk worthy. To walk worthy. Why? Of everything you got in the first three chapters. Okay? (laughs) Some of you are going, what? The elements of love. Do I understand his love? See, the plea is walk. If we do not walk in the flesh, we walk in the spirit. If I walk in the spirit, I bear fruit of the spirit. But when you think about the word walk, I got a grandson. (laughs) And he's a blessing for the grandfather to his daughter. Okay. Every time I buy him something, it makes loud noises. It's just, it's absolutely perfect. And this guy, he makes the Energizer bunny look like a slacker because he is go, go, gone. And, and I, yet I remember watching and understanding he wanted to crawl. They wanted him to crawl. And I think he did that for about four minutes. And then he got up and got mobile because I don't know if he ever walked. He just runs. Okay. And so, uh, which is, just does a grandfather's heart such joy. And you know, yes, 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 yes. I'm getting back at you. Walk for us to understand that is our daily conduct. Okay. Our daily conduct. Think about that for a second. Our daily conduct, our daily action should be characterized by love. Love. Because, see, we already looked at the pattern. Who was the pattern? Imitate God. Okay, the psalmist said it this way. I will be satisfied when I wake in your likeness. Are you satisfied? Remember in Ephesians chapter 3, we will be filled with the fullness of God. Verse 19. Paul told us, verse 1 of chapter 5, be imitators of God as beloved children. Imitate God because you are a beloved child. 
So that is the basis for us imitating him is because we are beloved children. We are children of God. And Paul's saying, act like daddy. Hmm. You ever try to think about that for a minute? A good Baptist saying is what? You must be born again. So act like your daddy. You men with imperishable seed. So act like your daddy. See how all of a sudden it just gets a little more complicated? I like the be born again thing. I even go with Nicodemus. You want me to crawl back in the womb? What? Because there's times I look at that and think that would be easier. John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 12 says, You have the right. We have the right because we have been born again. We are called children of God. Ephesians chapter 1 says that He has chosen us. We are literally the children of the Most High God. If you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, who's your father? we got a guy here. I've known Brad for a long time. Uh, he's the priest up at the Catholic Church. And everybody in town calls him Father, except for me. I don't call him Father. He ain't my Father. Think about it. And I'm not doing it to be disrespectful. I've had discussions with him. I've known him for a very long time. Wonderful, nice guy. Has a beautiful 65 Mustang that's been restored. To I told him, when you step out of here, buddy, leave that to your Baptist brother. But uh, who knows? And I don't like Ford. But anyway, I'll take it. But he's not my father. Okay? I have one father who is in heaven. We are children of God. So as his children, we are to bear his likeness. My, uh, My son... My youngest son. Actually, he's, what, 30-something. But uh, I had a picture back in my hippie days. And I had a flannel shirt on with blue jeans. I was in a house that I was renting. And they took the picture of it. And I used to wear these bandanas around my head all the time. Somebody showed Josh that picture. Josh looked at it and said... I don't remember wearing a bandana. <laughs> I looked at it and I said, I don't remember your hair being that long. <laughs> and he says, well, who, who is that? I said, well, if it ain't you, who is it? And I, and I, I, was, I was actually shocked because I seen a picture of him in a flannel shirt that I almost looked like mine. But anyway, I know it, no, it wasn't because this was before I moved to Colorado. So this is 70s. And... I just looked at it and I thought, you've got to be kidding me. Okay? And I've seen some other characteristics that I'm not that happy about, but we'll move on. Okay? As his children, we are to bear his likeness. His likeness is his character. Do we have his characteristics? Do we manifest that which is true of him? Is it seen? You know, I get into trouble. Uh, people will tell me that they are saved. 
It's, it's funny, they don't really do anything until they find out what I do. And then they say, well, I'm saved. And uh, I'll ask them, how do they know? Well, how do you know you're saved? Well, if I said a prayer. I said, hey, nowhere in the Bible it says, say this prayer and you'll be saved. Well, why does everybody say prayers? Well, I'm supposed to pray without ceasing. So, you know, and it kind of gets, gets under my preach out of an evangelistic thing out in Ramah uh, once a year. And I remember speaking on a Wednesday night. And I told him, I said, you know, people tell you that they're saved. Just ask them a simple question. I said, what's that? I said, tell them to explain to you five things that they can tell you about Jesus Christ. Okay? And I don't want to hear he's Jewish. Okay? Tell me five things about him. Why? Tell me five things about the character of Jesus Christ. Okay? And then I had a guy <laughs> come out, a rancher come out. I come out of the eating, the eating table and <laughs> come out. And he says, so preacher. I said, yeah. And he says, can you tell me five things about Jesus Christ? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Paul is telling us the reason we are to be imitators of God because we are beloved children. That's why you should do it. Why? You should act like your father. You should have the characteristics of your father. Why? Because we are his children. We are to pattern our lives after our father. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, says this, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Okay? We are all children of God, and it is by faith in Christ Jesus. When you put your faith in Christ, at that point, you become a child of God. That's kind of cool, don't you think? I mean, we looked at it in chapter 2 of Ephesians. You're joint heirs. And I mean, you just sit there and you think, joint heirs. What does that mean? That means you're an heir of God. What does that mean? Well, what does God own? <laughs> oh, well, good. And it's so, but you, if you try to wrap your head around that, you're kind of, you better go sit down. When you put your faith in Christ, you are a child of God. Remember John 3? You're born again. You're born again. Imperishable seed. You will have an earthly mother, but you have a heavenly father. And because of that incorruptible seed, you have the potential to manifest the life of God before a lost and dying world. Voltaire, the philosopher, said, I'd be inclined to believe in your Redeemer if you would show me a redeemed life. In Russia, nobody smiles. It's kind of weird. You think I'm kidding. They don't smile. I was there on May Day, 1st of May. It's been a few years ago. And they shut the city down. You know how big New York City is? Eight million. You know how big Moscow is? Thirty-five million people. And they all frown. But it's kind of a dirty city, so I don't blame them. But 
I was walking around. They shut the city down. You can't get a bus. You can't get a cab. You can't ride in their uh, subway system. They ain't nothing. Everybody's celebrating victory over Germany. And the old guys that are still alive from the war, they're all dressed up in their really stretched uniforms. And they got big old handfuls of flowers and stuff like that. And they're all walk around frowning. But every once in a while you'll see somebody smiling. And when I'd see him smiling, I'd say, Christa, da, Christa, Christian. I'm a Christian. But they were the ones smiling. And I thought, wow, cool. Right? But we got people running around here smiling, and I don't think they have a clue. Okay? Through us, the life of Christ is being fleshed out. It should be seen. It should be different. People ask me, how do I know for sure that I am saved? My nature is completely changed. I know what I used to be. And my... That, it ain't nowhere near. It ain't nowhere near. I was a very, very evil man. And now all of a sudden, I like people. I never used to like people. Well, I did for what I could get. This manifestation through us should be a normal thing. It should be our daily walk. I mean, anybody can act Christian in a church. What do you do when a guy cuts you off in traffic? God bless you. Or you do what John did. Would you like us to call down fire and brimstone? <laughs> Just a little poofta thing. And for a Christian not to walk is abnormal, and it makes a conflict. You can tell those Christians. You ever seen them? All wrinkled up foreheads look like they're eating some kind of limes. And they just... But you know they're in conflict. Why? Well, I don't know. Well, you're not walking as him, are you? Children are like their parents. That's normal. Whether we like it or not, they're like our parents. They're like their parents. Okay? Christians have in them the indwelling life of God. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. Then when the fullness of time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Okay? Read on. That he might redeem those, verse 5, who were under the law, and we might receive the adoption as sons. There it is again. We're children. Now, under Roman law at the time of the writing in the New Testament, if you adopted a child, you're stuck with it. Okay? In Roman law, if you had a child anywhere during that lifespan of that child, if they brought dishonor to the family, the father can have it put to death. Okay? Unless they were adopted. And then, you use my phrase, they're stuck with it. A son, therefore an heir. 
The Spirit is in you. The life of God is in the Son, the child. And brothers, sisters, that should be seen. In our society today, that should stand out like a big bright light. It should be seen. The peace that surpasses all understanding, guarding our hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. I have people calling me and saying, well, is this shutdown and quarantine thing, is it growing your faith? And I have to say no. It's opening some really cool doors for me. But I can't say that I'm under travail. He's taking care of me. Now this guy who's working on my eyes, I'm not so happy about that. But for the rest of it, no. Why? Because I'm a child of God. And I spoke with Nate and some of you others. When I watch God's absolute protection over this congregation, it's astonishing to me. I mean, you just sit there and go, wow, man. Back to 1 John, chapter 4. It's a long section here, but I want us to pay attention to it. Beginning at verse 7. Listen to these words. Beloved, let us love one another, for for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God was sent His holy, His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Okay? Back in our text in Ephesians... It says, walk as he walks, and it's a word that's kind of odd for the, the text. Walk in love just as Christ also loved you, gave himself up for you as an offering. Okay, what it means in its, the syntax, the structure of the sentences. Have you ever take tracing paper and, and, you, and you lay it over a picture and then you just trace the paper? Okay. That's what it's talking about. Trace the paper. Okay? Paul told Timothy that, that be an example, be a tracing of himself. Be someone that believers can trace their life after. Ooh. We call that discipleship. Trace your life after a believer. Take Christ. And trace your life after it. He is the pattern. He is the heart of this passage. Because he is the pattern. We are to love as he loves. Chapter 4 verse 32. 
Remember that? Be kind to one another, tender-hearted. What does it say? Forgiving each other. All right? If we are to love as He loves, the first thing we have to be aware of is forgiving. If we're going to walk in love, the first characteristic is a forgiving love. Just as God forgave you. Now, think about that for a second. You are to forgive as God forgave you. Tell me something that God hasn't forgiven you for. I don't hear nothing. Well, maybe you're going to do something in the future. No. Nailed to the cross. Okay. You're going to walk as he walks? Walk in that love? Guess what? You have to forgive that way. That's why you need divine intervention to do it. For Christ's sake, for what Christ has done, we are to forgive. Listen, the penalty that was ours, that was justly due us, was covered by Christ. Because of something Christ did, do you understand that God was able to forgive? See, it's one of the weird things that if, if you don't really think about it, God loves, period. But he couldn't forgive without the penalty paid. Do we understand that? He still loves us. Remember John 3.16? God so loved the world. He loves the world. Do you know what part of the world he's talking about? All of it. All of it. That's the point. See, he paid the price so that God's love could be forgiving. So when we walk in God's love, we walk in forgiveness because Christ paid the penalty which enabled God the Father to forgive us in his love. Up until that time, he loved us. See, God loves us, but because of Christ, God can forgive us. See, he's holy and righteous and just. If he doesn't deal with sin, justice and holiness and righteousness is gone. Sin has to be dealt with. He paid a price. And that's how we get God's forgiveness. One of the most amazing chapters out there. I'm not going to get the whole thing because we could be here for days. Do you remember when he yelled out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? And then it says he gave up his spirit. Okay. You know, we talk about it in skies, earthquakes, weird stuff like that. You know what the most fascinating ones is? The veil of the temple ripped from top to bottom. Now, if you want a homework assignment, go check out that curtain. Okay, because that's not like a curtain. It's three layers thick, and it's got this special weave in it, and yet it was ripped top to bottom. See, up until that time, only on the day of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go in 
to the Holy of Holies and make atonement for the people. And then he'd come back out. But it's in layers. It's in three layers. So even when he went in, you couldn't peek in there and see, what's the ark look like? Okay, You couldn't peek in and see it. But when Jesus gave up his life on our behalf, that was ripped open. So guess what? Mankind has access to the mercy seat. The mercy seat is the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, in Hebrews chapter 10, an amazing text, verse 10 of chapter 10. By this will we have been sanctified. This is Christ. Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, make a note, once for all. Okay? Drop down there to verse 12. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of the Father. Verse 14. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. One offering, one time for eternity. And I tell people this. I says there is an innumerable number of ways to Jesus Christ. There's one to God. The person of Christ. Okay? So we see that his love is forgiving. Secondly, it is unconditional. You know what that means? It doesn't matter the response. Okay? Man's love is based on the response. God's love has no limits. Do you understand that God's love is there even to those who don't respond? Did you know that God's love, even if you hate him when you die, God still loves. God loves you if you hate him through all of eternity. If you were condemned to hell, he still loves. Because it is his nature. It is the nature of God to love, period. And it's not based on the response. It's based on his nature. God's love is not defined by the object. Okay? In any sense at all. It is his nature that loves. God loving as God must love because he's God. So if you reject him, he loves you. If you go to hell without him, he loves you. Why? It's still his nature. But he can't. He's not going to plea bargain. Okay, if you've ever been in the court systems, I don't recommend it. They will plea bargain. You go before district attorney or one of his associates or her associates, and they change the plea. Okay, but it's just weird. You always go in there, and you're always told to lie. When you go into court, they say, are you guilty? And the lawyer will say, you're not. And you know you are. Okay? Well, go ahead and lie. Well, might as well. Okay? 
But God loves despite us. His nature is love. A loving God must love because He is God. You ever go check false religions? Go check out their gods. Ooh, a bunch of gnarly people. I mean, they're grouchy, they're irritable. They want to whoop you. And yet our God, when we shake our fist at Him, He still loves. He loves us so much that He provided a way of forgiveness. There's no diminishing His love. It doesn't matter what your or my response is. His love is forgiving with no limit. His love is unconditional with no limit. But lastly, it is self-sacrificing. God's love is so massive. He is so loving that he gave. What did he give? The best that he had. What was that? His son. That is self-sacrificing. It's a very basic truth if you think about it. And yet many don't get it. We... Have you ever heard this, I just can't forgive myself? You ever heard that? I can't forgive myself. So your standard of righteousness is higher than his. That's nuts. You just don't understand what I did. Brothers and sisters, you don't understand what I did. And I've been forgiven. Okay? His... If you believe that there's something that you're dealing with that is a lack of forgiveness, then you have no idea what his sacrifice was. All right? If we are to love as God loves, we're going to imitate God, be followers of God. We must love people with a forgiveness that has no limit. That's tough, isn't it? There's some gnarly people out there. Our people cause some heartache. If you've ever been a pastor as long as I have, I got a list of people who try to hurt me. But you know what? They haven't nailed me to a cross. We must love people with that forgiveness that Christ has shown each and every one of us. That forgiveness that has no limit. It must be unconditional love. No dependent on the response. Okay? Walk up to somebody, tell them you love them. They tell you to go take a long leap off a short bridge. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. And in love must be sacrificial. You know, I, I try to tell people, uh, love is not icky sentimentalism. 1 Corinthians 13 says it's a verb over and over and over. It's an action. Love is seen. The love of this world is seeking something for itself. That dresses itself up. Don't get kid yourself. I ain't going to downplay that. It, it can hide what it's deceit. 
And yet, I look at all three of these. Uh, unlimited forgiveness. It's unconditional, not based on any response. And it's self-sacrifice, the giving of itself. And all I can see is the person of Jesus Christ. So, if I give, ask you to name five things about Christ, you can give me three right there. <laughs> see, see, it's open book test. Listen, if you really want to talk about it, the cross is the sum of all. There's no limit. No condition. It's unconditional. He died for the whole world. He sacrificed himself in spite of them, even though they were spitting on him and mocking him and had beat him and hung him on a cross. He said what? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That is the love that we are called to walk in. Brothers and sisters, that is what it means to be born again. You have a supernatural love. You have a new nature. You have a forgiveness that has no limits. You love without expecting a response. It is self-sacrifice, and it seeks only to give. Self-sacrifice means you only give. You got a 53 Volkswagen Beetle, and you got a 2020 Mercedes SL. To sacrifice, which one would you give? I'd give them both. I don't like Germans. <laughs> Not sorry. <laughs> Here, have them both. You, I'll put a trailer hitch on the one. But see what I mean? That's that's sacrifice. I seen a guy who went out and bought him a brand new car, and he had this old beat up Honda. I mean, it was lordy, lordy. I don't know how many quarts of oil it got to the mile. But he said, you know what? I'm gonna. This single parent was around, and he said, I'm gonna give her that car. And I looked at him, I says, are you mad at her? <laughs> Did she do something to hurt you? What? You're going to take all of her money and go into that little Honda. Jesus loves us when we sin. Did you know that? He forgives us when we don't respond. He gives when we want to take. That is to be the love that characterizes a true believer's life. That's why I try to explain to you, if you go look at this text without looking at the theology, you'll sit there and go, that's the craziest stuff I've ever seen in my life. It's unconditional, it's forgiving, and it's self-sacrificing. Now I want to show you something, then I'm going to close. Here's what's amazing about this text. You've got verses 1 and 2. Okay, and it deals with infinite love, is what I call it. Okay, we're to walk in that. Okay, got it? But then he immediately, bam, goes negative. Goes negative. Because the society with the church was Ephesus is, was in is the same society you and I are in. And this society that we are in, we miss this sometimes. What God establishes, okay, this world will counterfeit. 
think I'm wrong? Who established marriage? What's it look like now? See what I mean? And the same thing with love. God is love. Here, let me show you love. He starts off with the first word there, immorality. Uh, some of your translations will call that fornication. That's sex sin. See, we have sexual sin, and we do it in the name of love. I love you. Listen, I came out of that era. I know what it was. The 70s. Just tell them you love them. And let's make a deal. Right? We'll deal with that next couple of weeks. Because there's a negative side to this. And you need to be warned about it. I'm sure you are. But as Peter told those churches in Asia Minor, I will keep reminding you this. So after I'm gone, you will bring it to remembrance. I'm not Peter, so I will say, I will keep reminding you of this. So after I'm gone, it'll rattle around in your head. Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for a love that defies human understanding. And yet, Father, you have poured your love into our hearts at our moment of our salvation. Father, you set Jesus Christ as our pattern. So, Father, if the Apostle Paul can say, follow me, the things you have learned, the things you've received, the things you've heard from me, do these things. And yet he understood that he had not arrived, but he pressed on for the upward calling of Christ. Let that be the thing that we chase after. As the psalmist said, let us be satisfied when we are you. To you, my King, the Lord. Amen.